Ezekiel 33, I want you to notice again, verse 32 of our text, you'll see an interesting metaphor that God uses about his prophet and about his word. He says, And lo, thou art unto them, unto the people, as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear thy words, but they do them not. In other words, God's looking down on his people to whom he has sent his prophet. And he sees how for seven long years now they've heard the voice and the message of Ezekiel. And not just heard it, they're actually enjoying it. If you can imagine, they've, they've, they've welcomed it. The problem was all the time that they heard it, they really weren't listening to it. Ezekiel, God says, you are unto them as a very lovely song, sung by a great singer who's playing very well on guitar or piano. In other words, it's Andrea Bocelli singing Amazing Grace accompanied by Yo-Yo Ma. Right? It's beautiful. It's like a very catchy melody sung by a, a very gifted pop star. And he's using an incredible guitar so that you know the song. You sing the song, you love the song, and the singer's talent blows you away. But the lyrics, however, the words are just words. Like, bye-bye, Miss American Pie, blah-blah, what? I don't know what those, those words mean. Since high school, I haven't known what they mean. And, of course, when the lyrics are profound or powerful, people still sing without comprehension or understanding. Have you ever seen a funeral at the National Cathedral and there's the president and the speaker of the house and senators and congressmen and they're all singing along to amazing grace? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I'm watching these people and I'm like, you don't mean that line while you're smiling. Why are you smiling? Why do you feel you're moved by these words that you do not mean? That's the situation with Ezekiel, God says, and with the nation who had been listening to him. God sent his prophet with words, with an actual message, but they just liked his voice. They just loved the oratory and his presence. And you know what? The consequence of that is what I want us to consider this morning, because I want us to look at our nation, our churches, our condition that in so many ways looks exactly like the days of Ezekiel and God has a word for us from his prophet. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time already today. We've been so blessed. The fellowship of the saints singing praises to your name. Thank you. But now we come to your word and I pray we will both hear and heed it. Please help us to that end in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel 33, you'll notice, ends with a very somber warning. Again, it says in verse 32, And lo, thou art unto them as a very lovely song of one that hath a pleasant voice, and can play well an instrument, for they hear thy words, but they do them not. And when this cometh to pass, lo, it will come. Then shall they know that a prophet hath been among them. In other words, for a long time now, God has been warning his people about the coming consequences and the fruit of their growing idolatry and their greed and their deceit. 
But unfortunately, as Ezekiel preached these messages, the people just thought it was cool sounding. Like a lot of people with prophecy today. I'm going to go hear about revelation and prophecy and see about the end days because it sounds so cool. And for these people, it was more entertainment to them than it was enlightenment. And so while they heard and were amused by Ezekiel's eloquence, they cared less about the substance. Leading to the last line of verse 33, they shall know one day, because it's going to come to pass, that a prophet hath been among them. A messenger with an actual message from God himself. They'll know it because all of Ezekiel's words will come to pass. This is why God continues in the next chapter. To remind Ezekiel and the faithful in that land. You know, there are always faithful people, a remnant, who stand for God and live for God in the midst of a crumbling society. And he wants to remind these people of three great immutable truths because they needed to hear it, and you need to hear it, and I need to hear it. I think in our similar situation today, our current climate of America's idolatry and deceit and greed, we too could use the same reminders. Three things in the text. The first one you'll notice, number one, concerns the omniscience of God. Hear this carefully. Yes, the land was full of injustice. It was filled with deception and growing evil. However, God says, I want you to know this, my people. It's not hidden. It's not unnoticed. And it is not misdiagnosed. Chapter 33, look at verse 30. God says, also thou son of man, that's the name for Ezekiel sometimes, the children of thy people still are talking against thee by the walls and in the doors of the houses and speak one to another, every one to his brother. Ezekiel, listen to me. You don't hear what I hear, God says. I hear things you don't know. I know things you don't know. I'm omniscient. And for the leaders, for the public officials, God says to Ezekiel, I know what you don't know. Which is what? Let's read it. Verse 30, chapter 34, verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe, woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Look at verse 9, same chapter. Therefore, O ye shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. In other words, look, if you're wondering this morning who these shepherds are in all of these texts, let me remind you that Ezekiel was called to preach to the exiles after the destruction of Israel. And in this prophecy... He talks about the watchmen, the guardians on the wall. He speaks about the judges, the princes, the magistrates, the prophets, the kings, and the elders. In other words, almost anybody and everybody in that land who enjoyed a position of influence and leadership, these, God said, are all the shepherds of the nation. The generic term shepherd in the book of Ezekiel applied specifically to four different positions of influence, all four of which are represented today in the United States of America. And as such, all four of them, as shepherds, should hear the word of the Lord. Notice, for example, the politicians. Verse 23, same chapter. 
And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them and shall be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken it. Now hear this carefully. This is not talking about David the man. He has long since passed away. This is David's throne. It is the throne of a king, not a pastor. And as a king, you'll notice he is called more than once in this text a shepherd. Of course he's called a shepherd. And what exactly are the political shepherds of a nation supposed to do? Well, shepherds are supposed to lead, protect, defend the sheep. And what they are absolutely not supposed to do is use their position for self-service, self-promotion, and gain. The last line of verse 2. Look at it again. Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Ye eat the fat. What's the fat? That's the surplus of any land that belongs to the people. Verse 3 again. Ye eat the fat, ye clothe you with wool. Ye kill them that are fed. But ye feed not the flock. Can I ask you a question? Where does wool come from? Sheep. And in God's imagery here, he is saying, you politicians, you're not feeding the flock, you're fleecing the flock. And even worse than that, verse 4, the diseased have you not strengthened? Neither have you healed them which was sick, neither have you bound up that which was broken. Neither have you brought again that which was driven away, neither have you sought that which was lost. But with force, that's pure power, and with cruelty ye have ruled them. And they were scattered because there's no shepherd, and they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. In other words, look, their duty, as any shepherd's duty is, their duty was to protect and defend. Their number one responsibility it is always public safety. But they're just getting fatter and meaner. And God looks down and he says in verse 6, My sheep are wandering in the mountains. My flock, my people, he said, are scattered on the face of this earth. In other words, all of this injustice and all of this abuse of power, all of this deceit and thievery, all of it, hide it though they might, none of it was being done underneath God's radar. Nobody was truly, quote, getting away with anything. And you can mark it down. God did not suddenly just recently find out about school board corruption or social media manipulation or FBI corruption or abuse of power or executive misconduct if and when some newspaper, quote, broke the story. That's not when God find out, found out about it. God doesn't read the New York Times or watch CNN LOL to get his news. Unlike us, our God is omniscient. He knows. And you know what? He wants us to know that He knows. He wants you to know that He knows everything that's going on, to remember that your God already and always sees it all. It's like the last time I was pulled over speeding. The last time. And the officer said, didn't you see that speed limit sign? I said, yes, sir, I saw it. He said, then what's the problem? He said, the problem is I didn't see you. That was the real problem. (laughs) We don't see everything. But God does. God sees the politicians. 
Psalm 11.4 says, His eyes behold and his eyelids try. What's that mean, his eyelids try? It's like squinting to look at something closely. His eyes behold and his eyelids try the children of men. Not just the politicians, he also knows about the priests and the prophets who were corrupt at that time. Verse 7, therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Verse 8, as I live, saith the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey. And my flock became meat to every beast of the field because there was no shepherd. Neither did my shepherds search for my flock. The shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock, God's people. You know, most Bible teachers think, believe that this is the text that Peter used, the Apostle Peter, what, when he had in mind 1 Peter 5, the elders which are among you, I exhort, feed the flock of God. In other words, New Testament teachers and pastors and preachers, just like Old Testament prophets and priests, are held accountable for how well they do or do not feed the flock of God. And what do you suppose they're supposed to feed them? Thus saith Sigmund Freud. Thus saith Oprah or Chopra. Or academia. Or Rome or Nashville. No. God expects the shepherds of the land in the United States of America to feed the flock of God with the inspired word of the living God. And not just a few sugar stick little examples, but the entire, the whole counsel of God. And again, the one thing God does not want these shepherds to do is endanger the flock, deprive the flock, mislead the flock for some sort of personal gain or for bigger crowds or popularity or book sales or houses or lands. I remember a book years ago that said, and I read it, it said that shepherds are supposed to smell like the sheep. Peter said, feed the flock of God which is among you, not below you. Not just admiring you from far away on some television. Spiritual shepherds today want to smell like gold and glory. Should be smelling like the sheep. And God says there's the politicians of the land. There are the preachers. Number three, what are the shepherds that God is condemning in this text? Number three, they're the parents. We won't turn there, but back in chapter 23 of this book, when God showed Ezekiel the worst sins, the absolute worst sins, bringing down the greatest judgment of God, he said, their blood is in their hands because they made their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire. Can you even imagine such a thing? Parents, the most sacred shepherds of all, taking their little lambs and sacrificing them in fire in order to receive a blessing from some idol. Well, frankly, I kind of can. I can't imagine anyone in this room doing it, but I tell you what I can't imagine. Parents today looking at their children as a commodity, as a nuisance, as a burden, as an obstacle. I can imagine easily 500,000 parents in America terminating the life of the child because it happens every year. And I'm going to say this without apology. When I see these parents all over our country, well-to-do mothers, taking their little ones to library readings with drag queens, these little two, three-year-old girls, and there's this big hairy man dressed like burlesque, and there's their moms with their second grader and third grader, and all smiles for mama. You know something? I don't see tolerance or compassion or open-mindedness. I see pure selfishness and child abuse. 
A lot of Americans feel all high and mighty because they'll read in the news about some some mother in Darfur or somewhere selling their child to slavery. They're like, oh, that's just so awful. We would never do that here. And it is awful. But we have an entire generation of children who are otherwise enslaved because their parents refuse to shepherd their own. The fruit now is a generation of dysfunctional, suicidal, inept, confused, miserable young people. And you tell me, who is God going to hold accountable for that? Chapter 34, verse 10, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds. I will require my flock at their hand. All the shepherds will be held accountable for all of the sheep under their care. Politicians, preachers, parents. And let me mention another one very briefly. The press. The media, because I'm telling you something, in our system of society, the press has as much influence and leadership potential as almost anyone. They are for a whole multitude of sheep. For some in this room right now who believe everything they say and hear. They're the watchmen on the wall. And do you suppose they've been all good shepherds with the influence that God's given them? Have they been shepherds at all? Not for a hundred years. I remember driving in a car a while back. I was at a hospital visit, and I'm leaving the hospital. I'm minding my own business, and on the news on the radio, it says, this just in. French fashion designer Yves Saint Laurent took a fall on a Paris street. He was not taking to the hospital. Literally, I looked at my radio, and I said, what? That's news. A 70-year-old man trips on a curb in France, and that's national news in America. I thought there must be more to it. Maybe when he tripped, he broke a gas line and a fire started and Paris burned. I don't know. <laughs> but no. When I say Monsieur saint Laurent, he took a tumble and he's doing fine. In other words, some dude tripped in Paris. And that's what made national news. That's not newsworthy. It's not even a tragedy. I trip every day. <laughs> Nobody reports it. You know what's a tragedy? FAU lost last night. That is a tragedy. Amen. Amen. I cry. No, no, no. Of course our media is irresponsible and destructive. The truth is these days are just as motivated by pride, money, power as the politicians that they report on. And as you read and as you study today's text, it becomes pretty obvious that in 2,500 years, nothing's changed. Okay, then realize, human nature being as it is will always allow for certain shepherds. You know, the New Testament, Paul talks about people having itching ears and they just want people to come tickle them. And so they want shepherds who abuse and neglect and misuse their influence and the position that God has given them. The power brokers of today were the magistrates and Mount Seir, if you read this text in the days of Ezekiel. Irresponsible shepherds have always been irresponsible shepherds, and they've always been among us. But you see, beloved, here, from the eternal word of God, is what we must remember. We must remember, number one, the omniscience of God. He knows all about it. There's nothing secret or hidden there's no conspiracy theory he's not aware of that you need to tell him about. 
That's the omniscience of God. Number two, we must also remember the omnipotence of God. You know, it's one thing to, to know everything and not be able to do anything about it. But in chapter 34 and verse 2, you'll see what it says. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe. W-O-E is a condemnation. And I want you to hear this carefully. What God is saying is, A, I know about them, and B, I got this. That's what he's saying. Do you know how many times the Bible says, Fret not thyself over evildoers? A, I know, and B, I got this. So in other words, nobody in this room need ever despair because of politicians or priests or parents or the press who abuse their position of influence. Become indignant? Yes, there's righteous indignation. And if you don't have that, there's something wrong. Protect your own marriage and your children and your grandchildren from that influence? Absolutely. But don't despair. Definitely don't envy and don't fret because of evildoers. God is on his throne. This is an omnipotence of God. And what God wants his people to know is that as your father, as your great shepherd, he's got you. I ask the staff sometimes, they'll say to do this little task, and Andy says, I got you. And that's reassuring, but only about that reassuring. Because sometimes later, it's, I forgot to got you. <laughs> Not so with our Lord. His omniscience. His omnipotence. Number three, you'll notice he tells and reminds Ezekiel of his omnipresence. Look at the last part of the chapter, verse 30. Verse 30 and 31. They shall know that I, the Lord their God, am with them and that they even the house of Israel are my people saith the Lord God and ye my flock the flock of my pasture are men and I am your God saith the Lord God wow Ezekiel let them know the ones who are faithful I'm with them I can imagine Ezekiel putting down his quill right here and saying amen Exiled far from home in the land of Babylon, Ezekiel is reminded of the presence of God right there and then and always and forever. So that God's power and God's presence and God's omniscience, don't you think, beloved, that eclipses any worries you have about whatever, the upcoming election? the bank scandals? Don't you think that mitigates some of the fear or the dread over the shepherds in America who are abusing their position? For Ezekiel it did, and for us it should. You know, most of you here today, in one form or another, you are a shepherd. You have somebody under the sphere of your influence. If you're a grandfather, you're a shepherd. Grandmother, parent, teacher, employee, employer, I guess the question is, what kind of a shepherd are you? Faithful? I remember a few years ago, it was years after we had moved into this new building here, and 
left our building on Center Street. And I was in my office over here, and I'm going through some stuff, and I noticed a key. And it was a key to the old church building on Center Street. Hadn't been there in years. And so I wondered if it still worked. <laughs> what? My reputation precedes me, I see. <laughs> Jimmy the Weasel. Yeah, so I wondered if it worked. And I had always wanted to see the remodel that the first church, you know, the church we originally sold it to, I wanted to see how it looked inside. So it was late one night. I went over and I put it in the door and I turned it and it worked. And I opened the door and thankfully there was no alarm. <laughs> That'd be a great headline. Pastor trespasses, breaking and entering, stealing Bibles and tracts. I don't know. But I walk around, turn the lights on, walk around, ask for forgiveness, not permission. I walk around and uh, I take some pictures, some of you received. And as I leave, I put the key on a desk in my old office that was now, I think, their secretary's desk. I wipe the fingerprints off. I'm no rookie, amen? I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I have two keys on my keychain. I've had them like this for 36 years since I've been here. And I, you know, you can go to Home Depot or Ace Hardware and you buy the little rubber thing or plastic things you put over the key because it's different colors. And I do that because at night, I'm coming into the buildings here. Ben and I were here late last night. I came into the buildings and going home, the keys look the same, but with the colors, I can tell at night instantly which key is which. Green is for the church. Green means grow in my mind. That night, before I left that old church building on Center Street, I pulled off the green plastic cover that I had placed on it. You know, while driving away, I felt this weight of responsibility and a sense of gratitude. I have two keys. One is to our house, and the other is to his house. That's all I'm called to shepherd. I'm not called to shepherd the church down the road here or the one on Center Street. I'm not called to shepherd somebody else's children as my own. I don't have a key to the White House. I don't have a key to the State House. I don't have a key to Mar-a-Lago. Apparently the FBI does, but I don't have one, amen. <laughs> I don't have a key to the public library. I don't have a key to the Gardens Mall, neither do you. But you have a key to your house. And God has called you to be a shepherd. To your wife, to, with your family, to your children, to your grandchildren. And you have access to this house. Ezekiel was just a pop star to these people. It was just entertainment. A lot of people, maybe some in this room, you go online, you listen to some pastor, some preacher, you follow some YouTube on prophecy, you come to church maybe even here on certain times, and it's just entertainment. It's just, hey, it sounds good. It's a beautiful sounding thing to hear some guy that's famous. How about the words? How about the words of the living God? Are you listening to them and then heeding them? Well, here, let me tell you what God says. Don't despair in this day. Look, God has placed you here for such a time as this. Whoa, what generation would you rather be a part of, Pastor Blalock? I wish I could be a part of D.L. Moody and Spurgeon. No, no, no. I want to be right where God placed me here and now until he takes me home. And God's people said, Amen. our heads are bowed, please, and our eyes are closed.
We're going to have a time of invitation as we do every Sunday here. You know, I think sometimes, honestly, as I was going through this text the last couple of weeks, and at the same time reading the newspaper, or hearing the news at least, I think sometimes we just need to be reminded that God's on his throne. That while there is always a place for righteous indignation and speaking up and being strong in the faith and valiant for the faith and taking a stand, having done all to stand, we're not supposed to ever despair. We're not supposed to fret and we're not supposed to envy the wicked because they prosper. We're just not. We are supposed to trust our God and to serve him fully. Pastor Blaylock, I'm here today, and I'm a Christian. I'm saved by the grace of God. I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I know that. However, as a Christian, I needed this reminder. I needed this message, and God has spoken to my heart. Who would say that as Christians with heads bowed? Would you raise your hands through the room? God bless you, and God bless you, and yes, and amen. Don't just look at some Pinterest verse of Scripture or on Instagram or that blog or that podcast and say, well, that's just good stuff. It's entertaining. Ezekiel to them was just a pop star. He was really a prophet. You go to the word of God with open ears and open heart and be encouraged in this day. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. You don't know if you die today, you'd be in heaven, but you want to know it. You need to know it. I won't come to you. I won't embarrass you. But if you've never been saved, never accepted Jesus, could we pray for you? Who would say that? Would you lift your hand in the building? God bless you and amen. Anyone else? Pastor Blake, I'm not sure that I'm saved, but I want to be sure that I'm saved. At home, right where you are, I can't see you, but God can. Raise your hand there or get on your knees. Today is always the day of salvation. Father, we thank you for your word. And in a society, in a world, in a time in the world, in the last days, when people have left the moorings of truth, your commandments, I thank you that we can come right back to it, be tethered to the truth. But I ask, Father, that we'll not just hear it and listen to it. We will heed it. We will believe it, have faith in what you've said, including in what you've said about being of good courage and having boldness in this day. May we be loyal to you, to Christ, and to your word. For these who have asked for prayer, draw them to you, please. For the, those who are not sure about salvation, please help them as they open a heart to the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. On behalf of everyone at Beacon Baptist Church, we thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that your heart and life has been impacted through the biblical truths of this message. If you have questions or would like more information, please contact us through our website at beaconbaptistchurch.org. That's beaconbaptistchurch.org. May the Lord bless you.